Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Good morning. It's Thursday, the 26th of October in London. This is the Bloomberg Daybreak Europe podcast. I'm Stephen Carroll. Coming up today, Israel insists it's still preparing for a ground invasion as fury grows over its strikes on Gaza. Morgan Stanley reveals a three-decade veteran as its new CEO, and Republicans elect a little-known Trump ally as the next Speaker of the House of Representatives. Let's start with a roundup of our top stories. Israel's Prime Minister says his country is getting ready for a ground invasion of Gaza. In an address to the nation, Benjamin Netanyahu wouldn't say when troops would start their offensive. Here's what he said, spoken by a translator. All Hamas militants are doomed above the earth, underground, within Gaza and outside of Gaza. Netanyahu's comments came after the US President Joe Biden said he'd asked Israel to delay an invasion of Gaza so more hostages held by Hamas could be freed. In a phone call on Wednesday, the two leaders discussed the ongoing war and efforts to secure the release of those held in the Palestinian territory. Israel's military said it continued to target Hamas's leadership in Gaza, where the United Nations said its shelters were overwhelmed by almost 600,000 Palestinians who fled their homes. To other news, Ted Pick will become Morgan Stanley's new CEO. He succeeds James Gorman after a 14-year run that reshaped the US bank in the wake of the financial crisis. More now from Bloomberg's Charlie Pallet. Pick is a three-decade veteran of the firm and co-president. In a statement, the bank said he will be elevated to the top role in January and join the board. The 65-year-old Gorman will stay on as executive chairman. In tapping Pick, the firm is turning to the man credited with spurring a revival in its trading business after a perilous stretch during the 2008 financial crisis, a period when clients ditched Morgan Stanley and doubts about its ability to survive reverberated around Wall Street. In New York, Charlie Pellet, Bloomberg Radio. In top corporate news, Standard Chartered's profits came in lower than expected in the third quarter as the lender took charges related to investments in China. The bank's pre-tax profit fell by 2% to $1.32 billion for the period. That's compared to analyst estimates of $1.5 billion. Operating income rose by 6%, driven by an increase in lending income and wealth management. But provisions for loan losses increased too, reflecting the uncertain trajectory of China's economy. To the U.S. and after 22 days, 14 candidates and four nominees, the U.S. House of Representatives has a new speaker. In the end, Republicans voted unanimously to install a little-known Trump ally in the post. Louisiana Congressman Mike Johnson was a prominent supporter of efforts to overturn Joe Biden's 2020 election victory. During a speech, members of the House, the newly elected speaker, had this message. They have been watching this drama play out for a few weeks. We've learned a lot of lessons, but you know what? Through adversity, it makes you stronger. And yeah. And and we want our allies around the world 
to know that this body of lawmakers is reporting again to our duty stations. Let the enemies of freedom around the world hear us loud and clear. The People's House is back in business. Johnson is an outspoken opponent of gay marriage and a fervent advocate for cutting government spending. Shares in Meta tumbled in after-hours trading after the social media giant CFO Susan Lee said the revenue outlook is uncertain for next year. The comments put a damper on an other up- otherwise upbeat earnings report with revenues higher than expected. Meta shares initially climbed but then slid more than 3% in extended trading. The European Central Bank President Christine Lagarde says the battle against inflation isn't over, but she's confident it can be won. Speaking to Greek television ahead of today's ECB policy meeting in Athens, Lagarde said, quote, we are not done yet, adding that officials must be very attentive to the risks. However, despite the hawkish rhetoric, the Central Bank is expected to hold rates steady at 4%. The pause would be the first in over a year. We'll bring you that decision live here on Bloomberg at 1.15pm London time. And America's United Auto Workers Union has reached a tentative deal with Ford to end more than a month of strikes. More now from Bloomberg's Doug Krisner. We're told Ford agreed to hike hourly wages by a record 25% over the life of the contract. It exceeds four years and top pay will be around $42 an hour. Now, this deal happened the day before Ford was scheduled to report earnings. Here's UAW President Sean Fain. Ford knew what was coming for them on Wednesday if we didn't get a deal. That was checkmate. On day 40 of the stand-up strike, we reached a historic agreement. This breakthrough will put pressure on Ford's two chief rivals, General Motors and Stellantis, to reach deals of their own. We are told GM and Stellantis are set to meet with the UAW later today. In New York, I'm Doug Krisner, Bloomberg Radio. Those are your top stories on the markets. The MSCI Pacific Index is 1.5% lower. The Japanese yen 150.45 against the dollar, down two tenths of 1% at the moment. As we look at European stock futures, eight tenths of 1% lower for Euro stocks 50 this hour. If you're looking for more reading ahead of today's European Central Bank meeting, our colleague Marcus Ashworth, always worth reading uh, when it comes to central bank decisions, but has been writing about how Italian bonds are at the mercy of the ECB. So definitely a worthwhile read from Bloomberg Opinion this morning. Well, let's get more now on the latest developments in the Middle East. The US President Joe Biden asking Israel to delay a ground invasion of Gaza to allow for talks over the release of hostages from the territory. This after Benjamin Netanyahu reiterated his country was preparing a ground offensive. Let's get more now from our head of Middle East and North Africa, Stuart Livingston Wallace. Stuart, good morning to you. How much influence does Joe Biden have over the timing of a ground invasion? Yeah, good morning. Um, Well, I would say the US probably has an outsized influence over uh, Israel and what Israel does. I mean, for several reasons, but I mean, just working through them logically. Number one, they've been the biggest recipient of US aid for as long as anyone can remember. Number two, they collaborate on a a great deal of military equipment. So, for instance, the the famous Iron Dome uh, that they have to sort of protect themselves from rockets was originally developed in Israel, but is now a sort of a joint venture with some US companies and so on and so forth. And so really the request here, and it is a request, it's not a demand, and, and Biden was very careful to sort of phrase it that way, was 
threefold, really. One, we need a little bit more time to get the hostages out. And remember, we've only, I think, had four so far, and there are more than 200 still there. Number two, there's been this uh, ramp up in attacks on uh, U.S. military bases across the region, primarily Syria and Iraq. But obviously, they're worried about the bases they have elsewhere in the Persian Gulf. And then number three, to try and ramp up the humanitarian aid that you've seen trickle into into south gaza and it and it really is a trickle at this stage so it's several trucks but in the context of a population of two million people you know it's really a drop in the ocean at the same time we've had these comments from queen rani of jordan criticizing israel's response to the hamas attacks garnering a lot of attention how significant are they when it comes to regional perceptions of this conflict well i I think they're reflective probably of you know where we've seen uh, a rise in tensions about the view, particularly in the Middle East, where where I think you know everyone would expect there to be some sympathy or quite a lot of sympathy for the, the Palestinians within the general population, and therefore the Middle East leadership, I think, has felt the need to be probably more vociferous than most uh, about what's happening in Gaza. Uh, but I think, uh, as a very good article by Israel bureau chief Ethan Bronner pointed out overnight, uh, there does appear to be spreading slightly more widely in the international community. And, and really, what it comes down to is what context people are putting around the uh, the events since the atrocities we saw on October 7th. So certainly within the Arab world, I would say that the context that the people have been trying to push is one of, you know, several decades of what's been happening within Israel and the Palestinian territories, uh, within Israel itself, and I, and I would argue probably to some extent in the US and other strong allies, uh, the context is, is a much wider one. It's, it's centuries and centuries uh, of oppression and, uh, uh, and mass death. And, and, and really, I think that's, that's the tension we're seeing. And we saw it, I think, most clearly at the UN, both yesterday, where we had sort of a double veto on, on these bills going forward, but also with the comments from the Secretary General uh, that, that really sparked a, a lot of anger uh, within Israel uh, and, and an obviously a demand for him to resign. Yes. And of course, those diplomatic wranglings continuing at the UN as well. No progress, though, it seems on either a pause or a ceasefire uh, in the resolution and discussions that continued uh, until late last night. No, uh, and, and really, uh, it's hard to see a way out of this. I mean, Netanyahu came out very strongly yesterday and said, we will be doing a ground war, but it will be uh, at uh, a time of our own choosing. So it's clear uh, that, at least as of today, that it's still going ahead. It's not entirely clear when it will happen. And, and as you know, uh, having followed this very closely, our expectation was that it was going to kick off a couple of weeks ago. You know, we had uh, the forward military base being built on the border. We had all hundreds of thousands of reservists called up. And then I think to some extent you've had a, a succession of global leaders come to Israel uh, and I suppose urge caution uh, and caution in terms of what the scope of that ground war will look like, what the targets are, what you know ultimately um, what ideas are on the table for what comes next. Because I think this is part of the thing that Biden was talking about in his visit was, yes, you know, absolutely ground war, but think carefully about what's going to come after that and make sure that it's not worse than what was there before. Okay, Stuart Livingston-Wallace, our head of Middle East and North Africa, thank you very much for joining us with the latest on events in the Middle East this morning. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. 
It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Let's turn now to the latest earnings reports from the technology sector. Shares in Facebook's parent company Meta slid in after hours trading after its CEO said the revenue outlook for next year was uncertain. Better news though from IBM. They reported better than expected sales. We've got Matt Bloxham from Bloomberg Intelligence with us this morning to talk us through the details. Morning to you, uh, Matt. Let's start then with Meta, I suppose. The revenues for the latest quarter are actually better than expected, but it was this idea of what they said about the future that seems to have caught Marcus' attention. Yeah, that's right. Quite, quite a kind of topsy-turvy um, aftermarket uh, performance share price. So, so revenue growth accelerated really rapidly this quarter. They just reported up to 23.5% growth. Uh, I mean, they make all their money from advertising. So it was quite a similar story to what we saw from Google the day before that uh, brands are spending probably to kind of help keep customers um, happy with the price increases they've been suffering. Um, and, but they, and they kind of pushed a lot of their spending into 2024. So it actually made the uh, the kind of full year 23 outlook look, look a lot better. And I think um, initially people were kind of quite happy with that. And then we had this kind of comment on the call from the CFO that, you know, next year's revenue outlook um, is uncertain. And that really spooked investors. I mean, it seems pretty obvious to me, you know, given everything that we have going on in the world right now, um, companies have been talking about doubts about corporate spending into Q4. Um, so to kind of make a comment that next year's outlook looks uncertain, wasn't a big surprise, but it's enough to spook the market. And I think it suddenly brings into focus um, all the money they're spending on virtual reality. I think you know, I saw somebody wrote yesterday that cumulatively they've spent something like $50 billion um, on virtual reality, uh, the metaverse. Um, and you know, they, they make a few hundred million dollars of revenue a quarter from it. You know, it's a drop in the ocean. And I think you know uh, if you do see significant headwinds to sales growth next year, um, then that investment 
programme's going to come under an awful lot more scrutiny. So I think that's the kind of challenge that they have. Yeah, it's really interesting actually to think about, first of all, the markets having this oh no wait moment when they heard the comments from Susan Lee, but also this idea of balancing investment in, in Meta, which is still remains, I mean, I was actually fascinated by their, their user number is still growing 7%, yep. 3.14 billion. It, I mean, they're still astonishing when you think about the presence that Meta has in this space too, which makes what they do with their business and how they're performing all the more interesting. Yeah, exactly. And as you say, you know, if we look back a year or so, um, when growth was stalling, um, you know, it, it felt like, you know, Facebook had had its day, Instagram was facing a lot of challenges from TikTok. Uh, to be fair to them, they've done a lot of things to kind of turn that around and get back into the to the market. And that actually comes through in the active user growth and the ads impression growth, so you're up 30%. Uh, year on year. So things like Reels um, have really helped Instagram. Um, the Threads platform still kind of, you know, uh, let's wait and see. Um, still selling but, that you know, one. Yeah, Doesn't make a terrible um, pun. Yeah, you know, the, um, yeah, they're doing a lot of good things. Uh, but yeah, that, that big bet on the metaverse um, yeah, it still looks like it's years and years away before it delivers a return. And in the interim, they've got you know, AI, which has kind of come to their rescue, spending a lot of money there. I still imagine it generates a very small amount of revenue for them but um, yeah, at least it's a kind of near term gap to kind of kind of plug that hole. Yeah, let's let's think about IBM then. A focus on software appears to be paying off there. Yeah, it does. I mean, obviously IBM's been through a huge trans- transformation over the years. You know, they kind of shifted to this kind of hybrid cloud concept and Red Hat was a really important part of that and Red Hat continues to deliver um, really good results for them. Um, but yet yeah, they are benefiting also from this transition uh, to AI, um, I think they're you know, only generating hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue from it. You know, in a company that generates billions of dollars of revenue, it's again not very much, but the momentum is there. Uh, and they're now talking about this uh, this concept of the the hybrid cloud shifting to hybrid AI, uh, and that they're in a really good place to help corporates of all varieties um, on their journey towards AI. But you know, clearly, uh, to the extent that corporates are still spending uh, on technology, um, the budgets have shifted massively in the short term to AI and they seem pretty well positioned to kind of help corporates on on that journey. I guess the kind of one soft point in the print uh, was slightly weaker consulting revenue. Uh, We've seen something similar from most of the big IT services companies like Accenture, for example. Mm. So I don't think that was a big surprise, but, you know, it does show you that, you know, that that's, I guess, the kind of signal that there is some softness in the economy coming through because that's, you know, typically an area that corporates pull back on uh, first. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa device. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. 
join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.